Thank you so much for joining us, for tuning in uh, to this. Let's have a word of prayer before we uh, continue on any further. God, uh, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your blessing of just self-awareness for our own lives, that what we um, go through today through the leading of the Holy Spirit will just draw us closer to you, that it will help people to get saved, to be born again, to become Christians. And Lord, we pray that also uh, it will help us to become more like Jesus. That if we are already Christians, that we'll become better Christians because of the study of the Bible. So Lord, we love you. Help us to know what you meant and how we can live that out. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing in our first and foremost series. We're looking specifically at Bible study. Bible study is a biblical essential for all of us. For all of us. Uh, certainly Christians, you, that would go without saying, though there are Christians who don't study the Bible. That's like being a fish who doesn't swim in water. It makes no sense. Uh, but we also know that the Bible has essentials for all of us, um, all of those who are out there, not only that are Christians, but for the non-Christians as well. That they would then see the truth and that from the truth in the Bible, it would um, draw them in. So speaking of truth, uh, I, I begin to wonder like, how do people and how do you define truth? I, I hear that a lot in our culture. Hey, this is my truth. That's your truth. Let's just have them apart. Uh, but how do you know what's truth? At the workplace, is it what your boss tells you? Um, is it what you as boss or CEO tell your employees? Is it who's in charge of the household, the teacher, the coach? Like, how do you know what's right? How do you know what the truth is? And I love Spurgeon's response to this. Uh, my wife was sharing with me as we were just kind of talking some scripture. She's like, hey, you got to hear this, which is really cool because I had just been studying about truth and then she shares this instance. Um, truth, here's what Spurgeon says about truth. Truth is a treasure that we all seek. We all want to know what's right and what's true. Does someone truly love me? Is this truly the right thing to do at work? Is this truly worship? It's something that we all seek. Uh, and it can only be found digging in the field of scripture, the Bible. So treasure is what we all seek. And you can only find it in the field of scripture as you dig for it. And I love the way that Spurgeon says that. Because treasure is awesome. We, we do that as a family. When, when we go to the beach here where we live, uh, we take the kids out and we dig in the sand for the treasure of shark teeth. Uh, we want to find sharks. So now our small, we've never found like the huge ones. Uh, but the small ones we look and we dig and we dig and we look for shells and treasures. And, and then they put the shells back in the home and they throw them in the sea. Um, so we're always, always looking for truth. What's right? What do we believe? Um, how do we go about what truth is. Now, God has a very specific response and a call to every person on the planet. Christians, he says this to us. I want to look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Um, because if you've ever been asked to do a job that you just don't know what to do, I, I've thought of that about every single job that I've taken for the first time. Fast food, retail, steel factory, being a, a DJ for hire. Um, all the things that you do. Or maybe it's not a job, but it's a relationship, right? I was in high school, now I'm out of high school. I was dating, now I'm engaged. I was engaged, now I am going to get married. So all of these, or, or we're married and now we're going to have kids. All of these little milestones have things in them. 
And in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, it gives us a great call and shows us the importance of Bible study. So let's look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I just want to read through this to help you sort of understand uh, the very important role Bible study plays in your created purpose and what God desires for you. Now, uh, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed him. This is after the resurrection, after the crucifixion. Uh, verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love that line. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You can't be a disciple without being saved. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 is the kicker. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So God is calling every person on the planet, all Christians who are out there to be saved and then to teach everything he's commanded. Now, the only way you can know all that God's commanded is, is time with God and his word. Time with God and his word. That's where the one thing comes in. This one thing that we have that I, I would share with you. Um, I, I love the Bible because the Bible just gives evidence of itself. It helps us to understand it. So, so look at this one thing. The Bible. In case you're thinking, I don't need to study the Bible. I just can have the Holy Spirit just lead me in to tell me things. Or I can figure life out on my own because I'm smart. Look at the one thing. The Bible was written for our instruction, Paul says to the Romans. That through endurance and, and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. So in all of this, we get instruction, we endure in studying scriptures, that's daily endurance, and we also receive encouragement and all of those things together. Instruction, endurance, and encouragement gives us hope. Now, why do we need the Bible, as Romans 15, 4 says so much? That's where the context comes in. Look at this context. As Christians... When faced with difficult times, we need to respond with biblical actions all the time, no matter what. No matter how the world is responding, no matter how other people at work are responding, no matter what's going on um, in worship, local churches, no matter what's going on where you recharge or you're hanging out in community, we always respond with biblical actions. And not just in difficult times, but, that, but in easy times as well. But right now, the world just seems difficult. It's just hard to do things. There's just so much restrictions being imposed and, and fought against. And, and this scripture verse helps us to understand that we need to respond biblically. And the only way you can respond biblically is to actually know what the Bible says. Do you not study your Bible, then you will not know the essentials of how to respond to life. What you always are thinking is right is not always right. There are many things as I become older and older and strive to be more mature as an adult that I have to unlearn. I have to realize that's not right. God's like, hey, that's not how we do things in the kingdom. The Holy Spirit's like, that's not the right way to think, the right way to talk, how to respond. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where we're going to spend the, a bulk of our time, we get a picture of the world in which we live. And I, and I know when we study the Bible, people are like, that's an ancient text. It has no relatability to our world now. That's old stuff. This is new. In fact, that's the culture we're in. We only want new stuff. What's the new trend? What's the new thing coming? But really, there is some great amazing, important, you can't live without, you will die and go to hell without the truths of God's word. So look at the world and the similarities in 2 Timothy um, chapter 3. 
But I understand, but understand this as, as Paul's writing to Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed uh, Moses, so that men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not go very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was to those two men. You, however, have followed my teachings, the gospel, the truth of God's word, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. With persecutions I adored, endured, but yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The corrupt bad guys here are destroyed by the bad things that they will do. This Bible makes it clear. And look at the perfect picture it gives on our world. You could headline this. And just put this on social media and just go, here's the year in which we live. Here's the world in which you are. Here's our neighborhoods and our homes and our workplaces. But what happens to the Christian who walks closely in with God in Bible study? What happens to them? We know the bad are crushed, the evil destroys them. But for those who walk closely, who follow verse 10, who follow the teaching of God's word, verse 11 gives us the answer. The Lord rescues them. You need to be rescued from this world. You need to be saved from your sins. And if you've already found salvation, you then need, you then need to follow the teachings. But how do you know the teachings unless you're taught? How do you know the teachings unless you study God's word? I heard uh, a guy say one time at a conference that I was at that if it comes between completion and comprehension, we should read the Bible for comprehension, not completion. If you can do both, do it. But you shouldn't only try to blow through the Bible in one year and just cram as much gospel Bible words down your gullet as you can. You should read for comprehension, to understand what's in there, to slow down and rest and smell the roses of the aroma of God's good word. So when he talks about this, how are we rescued? We were rescued by God through his teachings. Because as verse 13 says, things are going to go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, except and only for those who are Christians. So in all this that we see, this is the context of the world that we live in. A destructive world. 
of stealing our religious liberties world. A world in which we will be persecuted because we're trying to live a godly life in Jesus. Do not give up in studying God's word every single day. Don't just read it. Study it. Know the, the wrinkles on the face of Jesus because you know the word so well. So let's look at, at 2 Timothy um, chapter 3 still. Verse um, 14 and 15. This is in the section where all scripture is, is breathed out by God. And we're really going to spend some time in this kind of unpacking it and understanding it. And as we run up to verses um, 16 and 17, verses 14 and 15, they lead us there. So 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. There's a lot that you need to be saved from. Even people in your own home as we just saw. But as for you, Christian, Timothy, believer in God... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Timothy was taught by his grandma the truth of God's holy word, what, what is known as the sacred writings, which for them was, was the Old Testament, and then of course the burgeoning letters from Luke and, and Paul and, and Peter and John, all of those were coming out and, and equipping and, and encouraging and enduring for the Christians. But what I love about this is that he hearkens back to who he learned it from, that he was around other people, and that also as a child he was acquainted with the sacred scriptures. So I would ask you this question, where's the best place for you to continue to restart studying the Bible. And why is that such a good place? Where do you go every day to get alone? Do you get up early and, and, and brew some coffee and sit down at the kitchen table before the, before the house is awake? But where's your place that you get with God to study the Bible every day? And if you miss a day, you just start back the next day. But where do you go? Where is that place in which you endure? And also what I love about this, not only that, but what it says at the end of 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In uh, John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40, just want you to listen to these words. You search the scriptures. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness too about Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. If you're not a Christian, if you're not um, someone who has already been saved, then, then Bible study is not where you start. You need to go back and listen to the last message of the first message of this series on salvation. You need to be saved. Because to know about someone is not the same as being known by them. I know about a lot of famous people. I know a lot about a, about a lot of dead theologians who give me great advice and great words throughout centuries. But I don't know them. They don't know me. So to be known, uh, to know about something is different than being known by someone. It's like um, when you fill your, your cart in online shopping, but you never actually check out. And what Paul is saying here at the end of verse 15 is, is Jesus needs to, be, needs to move from happening to you to happening through you. 
You need to live in such a way that Jesus is working and happening not just to you and, and not just coming to church and sitting in the chairs and going through the motions, but actually happening through you. And that starts with salvation. Oh, that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Oh, that you would believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead. And then you'd be saved from all of your sins that are going to send you to hell if you die in them and enter into eternity unsaved and not a Christian. So Paul's reminding Timothy, hey, do not forget about the roots and heritage of your salvation. And if you're not saved, then be saved. Because we need to move Jesus from happening to people to happening through people. And part of the essentialness of that is through Bible study, through Bible discussion, getting alone with God. Now I know what you might be thinking. I know what you might be thinking. I've done this too, especially Christians. Where you're just like, I've got a lot of things that I want to read and study. Like, have you ever done, I've done this. Have you ever gone to study the Bible and do your personal devotion so much that you don't actually get into the Bible, but you do everything else? You're listening to your favorite Christian music to kind of get your heart right and your mind right. Nothing wrong with that. You make sure you've got your favorite beverage and your devotional book. You've got your journal and all your, all your highlighters and markers and pens. And they're all there. And you're, you're reading your devotional book. Great ones that God's wrote. And, and I do those. And you've got your beverage. And you've got your space. And your things are there. But you don't actually just push all of that to the side and dive right into scripture. I've lived there and I've done that. I know what that's like, right? I've, I've circled the buffet bar of all that is good. But I've never actually put anything on my plate. I've never sat down and ate and tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And you may be tempted and you may be drawn away to go, I don't need to be saved. I don't need the Bible. That's an ancient text for ancient times. But Psalms would speak against that. Psalm 19 would say, no, 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 no. There is no other text, no other word from anyone more relatable, more living and true for your life and mine than God's holy word. Let's just look at Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Which, by the way, this was a song that people used to sing. We're just going to read it um, together. So, Psalm 19, verse 7. Look, look, listen, watch, highlight, and underline the goodness of God's word that waits. As you dive in, as Purgeon says, you dig in the field for the treasure. When you open that treasure, this is what waits for us. The law of the Lord is perfect. There's nothing else perfect. Laws of the land, not perfect, even though we live in the United States, which is a great, great country. But the law of the world is perfect. It revives the soul. Ever been downtrodden? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. More to be desired than they are gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, the drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. Look at all the good that is here. There is no substitute. There is no replacement for the word of the Lord. It's incredible guidance for all areas of life. So not Psalm 19, 7 through 11 just lays out, nowhere else will you find this. You might read something that's kind of like, man, that's good, but it's not going to be much more fine than gold, which is why I see those infomercials all the time. 
right? The dollar, the American dollar, your paper, your currency is going to crash. But gold's where you want. Buy these gold coins. Buy these gold bars. Invest in gold. And the Lord says, no, my word is even greater than that. And I have had this honey, right? That dripping honeycomb like you go to the grocery store, you pull that out. It's still got the cone inside. That's some of the best honey. You pull that out. I used to be a friend um, of a beekeeper when I lived in Savannah, Georgia. And he would bring us some of the freshest honey you had ever had. It was so sweet, so good, so luscious. And here in North Carolina, we know how to do honey. We got some good local honey. And God says this is much more sweet. There is no substitute for that. Which is why we're going to sit in verses 16 and 17 right now. We are going to sit into it. There is no other book, fiction or non, no other documentary greater, no truth, no story, nothing better than the holy word of God to help you and guide you in your everyday life. And you know what? Even better, to help those that you love more in their everyday life. How do you comfort someone in the hospital room? How do you give them confidence to go to the grocery store? How do, how do you help them to share the truth and go, look, your marriage can be saved. Your kids can be righted. They can make mature decisions. Your work no longer has to be a drudgery. You don't have to quit your church, quit your job, quit your neighborhood in order to change the atmosphere. But instead, you can change on the inside. Only God's holy word, only through salvation, only through Jesus, only through the Christian faith can this happen. So let's just move in. And settle in and homestead at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Here's what I love about this. You guys know that what? Some over 1,400 years and some 40 authors were used in pinning and inspired by God to get the Bible from Genesis to Revelations together. Countless councils, hundreds of years debate, centuries of ironclad, we found it to be true. Look at the origin story of the Bible. And look at God's hope that he has for you. You ever bought a gift for someone and just hope they enjoyed it? That's what God did when he did this in Jesus. Verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Bible is from God, not man. John chapter 1. Read that on your own. It's inspired. It's breathed out. It is him in all that he is. Full of beneficial teaching for all areas of life we see in 16 and 17. Just read Romans 12. You want to know how far is too far? How much is too much? Read Romans chapter 12. It'll answer that for you. It's clear on what is right and wrong, good and evil, eternal and temporary. From cover to cover, Genesis to Revelations, we see that God's holy word is perfect in all of those things. To train you in righteousness, to sharpen you, to make you better of a tool to witness and encourage others to come in and be invited into the relationship, into the family of God that is salvation by grace through faith. It's all right there. It even says, in order to equip you for every good work from God. That's Romans 8, 28. Everything that you'll need. Everything that you'll need. 
So when it says it's profitable for teaching, and I want to hit some of these because we may not phrase words that way as much as we normally do. But I'd say it to you this way. When it says it's breathed out from God, again, it comes from God, not from man. When it says it's profitable for teaching, um, it means it's for God's good in our life. God's perfect. He's all-knowing and all powerful. We know all his omnis. We know, we know all those. But this teaching that is profitable, what's the profitableness of it? It brings about God's goodness in our life. I pray that for people all the time. I say, God, here's my heart's desire, and I'll be specific in my prayers. But my ultimate desire is for your best in and through their lives, God. That's what I want. That comes through the study of God's word. Sometimes the answer to your prayers, maybe actually all the time you can make a debate for that, is inside God's holy word. God's like, I've already answered that prayer request. Read my word. I've already provided for you in promises and precepts and commands. It's in my word. So God's got all of these in there. When he uses the word reproof, reproof is great because it shows us what God disapproves of. When I was growing up as a kid, one of the best things I could do was know what my parents disapproved of. It kept me out of a lot of trouble and a lot of harm. God's the same way. Stay away from that. That's going to kill you. Stay away from there. That's where the lion prowls to devour you. Watch out for this. Oh, over here is great. Eat from this. Taste. See. Feel. All of that is going to help you to experience it. So it's good for reproof. This is what God disapproves of. Stay away from that. Which, by the way, is for your own good. It's literally for your own good to save you from that. Keeps us from swimming from jellyfish infested waters. Watching out for us. Training in righteousness, that is a great phrase of discipleship. To show us how we can become better disciples of Jesus. I want to be more like Nathan. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to step across the threshold of heaven and go, this is familiar and new. This is home. Because that's what the Bible tells me. When it talks about the man of God, it talks about a Christian person. Both specifically and literally men of God which we need more men of God in the church, studying the Bible, leading their homes, their workplaces, uh, the places where they go have fun, studying their word and bringing it out. But it also means sort of in a, in a more figurative sense and, and in broad stroke, a Christian person. And equips us for every good work. Not what you think is good, not what I think is good. This isn't a message on, hey, you can firm up what you think is true. The only truth is God's truth. That's the only thing that's really true. So when it says it's equipped for every good work, it's not what you think is good, but it's actually talking about God's sovereign will on the earth. That's what's good. It's the only thing that is good. We talk about that all the time in our worship services. We will mention it at least. That we respond in our tithe and offering out of response to God's goodness. We're grateful for what he's done for us, so therefore we tithe and we offer this way. It's an expression of our appreciation for who God is and what he's done. So you see all of this. So what's one of the, some of the reasons that the Bible exists? Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 to show us our need for salvation. Verses 16 to 17 to show us the way. Once you get saved, it starts. Yes, your eternity is sealed, but the journey with Jesus begins and it needs to start with personal Bible study. Every day, no matter what. You got to stay up longer, stay up longer. You got to get up longer. You got to get up earlier, get up earlier. You got to tear away during your lunch hour for part of it. Do that. To show us the way to live biblically like Jesus. The Bible exists for your salvation in Jesus Christ. You're, you're not saved because you read the Bible. You're saved because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for the forgiveness of your sins. You're saved by grace through faith. 
And then you're also saved in the, in the part in the purchase for sanctification. So that you can become more and more like Jesus, a, a true disciple of Christ, an, an ambassador and a mentor to others. So that they may become like Jesus as well. So based on this message, what is something you can do to become more like Jesus? How can you live a more gospel-centered life? Because we all exist to bring God glory and make disciples. Through gospel-centered worship, community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered multiplication. So let's look at a couple ways that you can do this. These aren't the only ways, but I want to give you some ways. Because here's the thing. When it comes to essentials, you actually have to do it. So worship. This one you have to do. Like you have to. This needs to be a part of your everyday life. You, you've got to do this. You and God studying the Bible in daily, protected, uninterrupted solitude. And let me tell you something. As a dad who's married to a wonderful woman and has three kids, this is hard. This is hard. Daily, protected, uninterrupted solitude. It usually means really early mornings or really late nights and sometimes both. Because we always pray together as a family before we go to bed. We've got times during the day we do Bible study, but stuff in the mornings. But for me and the Lord, just you and God getting alone for the Bible. And I would say to the non-Christians, your number one step is to be saved. You need to get with God and go, God, forgive me of all my wrongdoings, thinkings. I do not want to go to hell. I do not want to live this life without the goodness the Bible offers, without the strength that Jesus is. I need to be forgiven for my sins for you to be saved. This is, not, this is a non-negotiable, and I can say that with full authority of the scriptures. You cannot skip studying the Bible even one day. And if for some reason you miss or, or things happen and you can't do it, then you just start back the next day. Study your Bible every single day. Get a good one. Community. Because we have our time in, in solitude, but it isn't just about us. It's about the people we live with and we're around. So community, get involved in a gospel-centered, Bible-based discussion with others about Jesus on a regular basis. You need to seek that out. Oh, but my church ain't open yet. Or, oh, they're open, but they're not doing the things they used to. You can be creative. You can jump online. But you need to get involved with others who are studying the Bible. Yes, we are meant for solitude, but we are also meant to be a family. And a family gets together from time to time. And a family meets, no matter how hard it is, they get together and they study God's word. So I would say study your Bible, then get with others. You just get involved in one. A couple other things, service. How can you serve people through Bible study? Become more like Jesus through gospel-centered service. Here's what I'd say about Bible study in this place. Make aware to others that the Bible has the answers to life's questions. I would also say this. Give away Bibles at no cost to the person who's getting it. Every time Rachel and I give out, we gave, we gave out handfuls of Bibles this past year to people who didn't have any. And we usually write in there a little note. And, and part of that note is, inside the pages of God's Word, this Bible is the answers and directions for all your face in life. You want to know how to celebrate well? It's in the Bible. You want to know how to have strength when you're weak? It's in the Bible. You need health and, and healing? It's in the Bible. You want to know how to, how to suck it up and, and be a strong Christian and start, stop whining and complaining and do something about life? Then it's in the Bible. So I would say serve others by giving Bibles away and make them aware that the answers are the biblical answers to life. That's how we respond to it, right? Uh, uh, that's what we need to do. And then multiplication. We want to strive to not just add, but to multiply the kingdom. So some of you are already in that. When I was talking back about community, like, I'm already in a Bible discussion group. I Zoom with people. 
I meet, I talk, we do face-to-face stuff, I have coffee with, I invite people over to my house, we get on the beach, we go to the mountain, whatever. To you, I would say, get in your local church and start a gospel-centered Bible discussion with others about Jesus on a regular basis. Meet for a little bit, then take a break, and then meet again. So, so just meet. And here's what I find. Because they'll be like, ah, oh, I don't want to do it all the time. Well, then just run it for six to eight weeks. Take a week break while you're meeting together, and then do it again. Here's what you're going to find, though. You're not going to want to stop. You're not going to want to stop. You're going to want to keep having community and grow. It's time for some of you Christians to step up and step out. And to help your local churches. Maybe they're not meeting. You can still meet and have a Bible study. Maybe there's restrictions in wherever you live. Doesn't matter. Do it. Do it. And meet with others. So gospel-centered service. Let's look at this one thing as we close. One thing as we close. We're gonna, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Let's just look at the first and foremost slide. Let's just look at the first and foremost slide. Can we do that? We're just going to look at that. First and foremost, I would say to you, study the Bible. Study it for comprehension. Study it so that you might understand what's going on. Take this time to dive in. Because we know that the Bible was written for our instruction. And that through endurance and through encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15, 4. You have to endure when you study the Bible. You've got to fight for it. So as we close in prayer, we're going to pray first for all those who are listening and watching who aren't Christians. You're still here because God wants you to get saved right now. Right now. He wants you to get saved then get in to a gospel-centered, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, saved-by-grace church. So we're going to pray for you. God, we pray for those who are where we work, where we worship, where we live, and recharge who aren't saved. We know them. We're getting to know them. They're listening and watching right now. And God, we pray that they'll just ask you right now to to forgive them for their sins. We pray right now that they'll confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. Do that. Don't wait. Because if you wait, it could be too late. It could be too late. You might not make it home. You might not make it out of the office. You might not make it out of the house. So save their souls, Lord. Save their souls. Help them become a part of the family of God. I thank you, Lord, for all those who have been saved. Thank you for those who who are saved. And I pray that they'll get connected with the church, that they'll reach out to us, that they'll reach out to their local church, whatever church they can call home, that they'll search and get connected with others. And for those of us who are Christians, Lord, let me just simply pray and ask that you'll help us to study the Bible every single day, uninterrupted, protected, fought for, alone with you, us in the scriptures and whatever else you lead us to have. But most importantly, we make time to study the Bible and ask you to help us understand it through the Holy Spirit through wise counsel of your word, through reading other passages of scriptures to help us understand scripture. God, we love you so much. Thank you that we can have this intimacy with you every single day. That the God who knitted us together in our mother's womb, we can spend time with. And that as Christians, the father of us all, who we'll be able to spend eternity with, we can spend time with you now and have a great reunion one day after we die and go into heaven. 
God, we love you. We thank you. Give us all the strength. Help us to make room and margin in our life to have time with you and your holy word. We are saved by grace through faith. And studying the Bible helps us to become better disciples, ambassadors, and mentors to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great and wonderful rest of the day.